Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumph and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives. In season two, we're highlighting Bentonville's thriving and growing mobility sector, where we're pushing boundaries and making history. Get ready to hear about everything from bikes to aerobatic planes to drones, air taxis, flying cars, and a whole lot more. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, James Bell. And in season two, we're talking about mobility. That's everything from bikes to autonomous trucks, aerobatic planes, flying cars, air taxis, drones, the whole nine yards. And I'm honored to have in the studio today, Dr. Richard Hamm from the University of Arkansas. Right. Thanks. Thanks, James. Yeah, Rich. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Dr. Hamm is a seasoned transportation executive with four decades of experience in security, safety operations, program administration, compliance, and enforcement. He's Associate Director in the Department of Industrial Engineering at the University of Arkansas, where he co-leads staff of the largest program at the university. Uh, he, uh, as faculty, he teaches Master of Science in Engineering Management, Master of Science in Operations Management, and a Project Management Graduate Certificate. Rich's list of expertise and accomplishment is long. And I'm going to let him talk about that uh, more as much as he wants. And at the same time, I'd like to highlight a, highlight a few. His primary subject matter expertise is unmanned aircraft systems and homeland security operations courses. Rich established the first university UAS remote pilot certification course. And he's a researcher and UAS pilot for a research grant with Oak Ridge National Laboratories. He also mentors and teaches K-12 teachers and higher education education faculty on pedagogy and taxonomy to integrate UAS curriculum into STEAM programs. Additionally, Rich is an adjunct professor at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And if that's not enough, he's chair of the Airport Advisory Board for Bentonville's Thaden Field, which itself has a long list of accolades. So I'll give you a couple of those. The first one in 2019, the FAA Southwest Region Airport of the Year. And this year in 2022, the coolest airport in America, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And now with a deep breath for my part, <laughs> Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's get this flight off the ground. Tell us about Dr. Richard Hamm. What should we know about you? Well, a few things. Uh, well, you know, besides uh, being at the uh, university, I've my wife and I have been married 37 years and uh, have four kids and six grandkids, and they all are back here. So I had kind of left this area, graduated from high school more than 40 years ago, some time ago, and left and then got to come back, uh, you know, within within 30 miles of where I went to school. The Professionally, um, I'd say if I was looking at what's happening now, I've just been extremely fortunate. I started out as a uh, air traffic controller in the Air Force and went on to become an officer, uh, retired from the Air Force, and was working on my doctorate uh, when September 11th happened. So I actually had my retirement papers in, was finished my uh, my doctorate, was going to go teach uh, at the university level, and um, 
Of course, the Air Force canceled my retirement like they did for everybody else sure. during that time period. And then a few months later, uh, when they finally released me, I was recruited uh, to basically do what became the Department of Homeland Security. It was in the first iteration of the Transportation Security Administration. Worked there and was the director for enforcement in Washington, D.C. at the headquarters for all of the activity that was happening in transportation security which included a lot of cool things. Got to, you know, start a locomotive program and a engineering program where I could uh, drive trains. Like every kid wants to grow up and drive a train, got to do yeah. that. Then uh, retired and uh, was able to come here to work in the Master of Science and Operations program. And then was uh, part of the team that stood up the engineering management program. And then several certificates, just project management, also Lean Six Sigma, a Homeland Security certificate, a micro certificate uh, in advanced air mobility and autonomous operations that we have now for individuals in this particular area. Mm-hmm. So I've been pretty fortunate. Uh, I've kind of got to do a little bit of everything and uh, it's been a pretty good ride. I've been pretty fortunate along the way. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Well, thank you for your service to our country and uh, to our, our students and folks locally as well. Um, where does your passion for aviation and in particular to uh, unmanned aircraft systems come from? And can you tell us a little bit more about how you got involved in that or how you got started? Sure. It's it's a, um, a little bit of a circuitous route in how I came there. But as an air traffic controller, a lot of that was about uh, active, but also then working airspace for new systems. I was fortunate enough, I was involved in some of the early, uh, I guess you'd say, experiments of how we do different kind of things in airspace, low-level refueling in the Air Force. Um, then I went on and I uh, commanded the schoolhouse where we worked closely with the FAA and we did not just airspace management, but combat airspace management. But about the time hmm. that drones and what you'd see in the military now began to began to uh, grow. And so very early, we're talking a very long time ago, but uh, that understanding of airspace and how, you know, approach instrument approaches or, you know, if you're flying in the soup, there's, it's kind of an engineering where you develop a certain type of approach so that Mm -hmm. someone can fly into bad weather. And so that group, that school belonged to me. So begin to put that background, uh, the uh, Air Force then let me fly small airplanes so that I could go and visit and tell people, hey, be careful, we have really fast airplanes coming by. So all of that kind of came together at one time. Then uh, after I was recruited into Homeland, the thing that really started it was more than about about uh, 10 years ago, uh, I left the headquarters and I was at uh, DFW as a deputy director, and I was working there, and the first iteration, at that time, it was Amazon had come in, and hey, we Dallas is where we're going. Hmm. And so I was on the task force that began to look at what's the airspace and the security requirements and how would we make that work. And uh, it all just clicked for me. All that background was, like all of it, was what was needed to figure out how to make that work. So from then on, uh, I, I've been involved in some shape, form, or fashion. Acad- academically or in the government as a, a regulator, I've I've been there. And then when I got here, lo and behold, um, they were trying to fix some things and said, you know, we really need somebody to help us stand this program up. And so uh, I've been involved ever since. Well, that's a pretty neat story. 
you know, to the layperson, UAS means drones. Uh, in fact, I, I guess a lot of us would have a hard time remembering at this point, uh, except for you might know a more specific date when drones even were started being used on the battlefield. Uh, and now we've advanced to a point where you can deliver life-saving drugs and uh, equipment to folks in a time of need. And, uh, you know, even that emergency spice on Thanksgiving uh, for on Thanksgiving Day. Um, but U.S. is more than drones. Uh, and so will you talk about that and how you see that field progressing in the next five to 10 years and into the future? So the history, and this is interesting, uh, I saw when Cyrus was with you and he talked about then the uh, aviators in general love aviation history. You bet. Uh, the idea that it's all new, it's not really new. The new actual autonomous aircraft or drone flew in 1917. Hmm. And we were so concerned, the world was so concerned about it, that the Chicago Convention that led to ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, that the Chicago Convention concluded in 1947. That bore out of the rules for that uh, because of the V-1 and the V-2 rockets. And so there were rules about what you had to do. And I wouldn't say it was dormant. There was research going on, but it wasn't the the dominant. Aviation was dominated a lot by, you know, the jet age and the things Mm -hmm. that began to develop there. But it was still developing during that time. The thing that is much different is the amount of what technology has done for autonomy. And that is not just for airborne aircraft, but also for trucks and delivery vehicles and passengers and cargo. Um, The first, you know, kind of contact that I had with some large, what we would call traditional RC Manufacturers. Some of some of these RC hobbyists had uh, drones that are like eight scale C one thirties and hmm. you know B fifty twos with eight little small jet engines on them that they might have spent a hundred thousand dollars on to build. So it's not new, but the difference was those were uh, you know stick and rudder skills. We would call it. you had to fly. You had to fly that, and it was not forgiving. Hmm. You could make a mistake, and it would be expensive, but autonomy and the ability for the aircraft to detect and then to begin to sense not just its place in space, uh, because the advent of affordable access to GPS, as an example, is key to this uh, and keying, you know, knowing where you are in three dimensions, you know, know, altitude and also where you are, you know, on the globe, and then using that to not just navigate, but also to make some decisions. So autonomy, I think, is where it is. I mean, honestly, uh, if if we look so like the community day for the Up Summit, it's mm-hmm. a great example. The some of those were those aren't the future. Those were vehicles that flew here. It's amazing. It is. It's and and there's there's even more that make you feel like you're with the Jetsons. I mean, literally. Um, and and it brings an interesting story to me because you know. I show my age again, but I actually grew up when you were watching the Jetsons, and that's what came on Saturday morning. Later on, I, you know, everybody was like, well, those flying cars, you know, isn't that really cool? But later, as an air traffic controller, I was thinking, how would they separate themselves? Because it's just, you know, madhouse, and they're going to crash, and so what do they do? This, the technology that's coming to solve that issue, um, we're not getting any more airspace, but having to come up with a way for the airspace to be utilized effectively so that we can 
absorb. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are more uh, drones than all of general aviation. So just in the United States. So when you start to look at the scale of that, I mean, we can't do it the way that we've done with an air traffic controller talking to everybody and having towers. That's just, it's not uh, feasible, the numbers. The, it just isn't scalable to do it that way. But what we can do is to come up with ways that we can mix a lot of these disciplines together. Um, the accuracy of GPS is very accurate with some of the new systems, both mm-hmm. in the in manned aircraft and then also real-time kinetic, which is what drones use to where you can get centimeter-level accuracy uh, in, in under certain conditions where you not just know where you are, but you know where you are at survey grade. You can build models and you can do some other things that we just didn't have the capability for just a few years ago. So, and, and on top of it, it's like anything else. It's like, you know, the TI-55 in high school that I paid $178 for. Uh-huh. That same thing. Not only is it all on my smartphone, but I can take that very, uh, uh, that calculator and it's probably 20 bucks. Uh, and that's not even inflation adjusted. It's the same thing. The the technology is scaling to become affordable where you can begin to see it integrated at levels that, that just couldn't have happened before. Um, much of the work that I did were drone and counter drone and homeland. One of the things that really was, that was early on, 15 plus years ago, that you felt secure because anybody that could do the kind of things we were worried about the expense was just off the chart, and they were easy to track because there weren't that many of them if someone had that technology. Now, you can go to Best Buy and buy something that can be modified to do some great things or some scary things and, uh, you know, do it for $1,000 and be off the radar. So all of these things, how do we keep it secure? How do we separate it? How do we keep it safe? Totally changing. If we look at, so I, I gave that as kind of a long context of, now, if we look in, in, in what's happening forward, uh, technology is changing dramatically faster. Now, it was taking us uh, at the turn of the, at the ni- 1900s, it would have taken us, say, 20, 30 years to double uh, knowledge. You know, that's in the two year, some would say one year, to where we're doubling how much information there is. So much it's hard to even keep up with. So in this five to 10 year period, if you follow the what historically happened, I think Cyrus talked about, and this is exactly how the how aviation likes to do things. FAA is uh, they're slow. So my best friends in that organization, uh-huh. I worked with them when I was because I was a regulator too. But they're slow and methodical, and the reason they are is because the saying in aviation is you know all the regulations are written in blood. So the rules happen because something bad happened. So they, they spend a lot of time evaluating, you know, how can I make this as safe as possible? So if, if we look and it's taking a very, what's going on with uh, in UAS, going very similar to the kind of track that occurred in the early days of aviation. Uh, started out with airmail and then cargo. And then the first passenger aircraft were like, it was a cargo aircraft to carry a mail and let's put a seat in there. Maybe sure. we can generate a little income out of that. And so they did, and then over time it became, you know, I think we can make more money with the passengers, and so we'll begin to design airplanes that way. That is how I think it's going to happen. You're going to see um, innovators like what DroneUp and ZipLine are doing, 
and then it's going to become larger. And we're going to start to see some use cases of, you know, there's there's some that are going through uh, trials and certification now that can carry 200 kilos. And they're going that moving cargo in those places. And the interesting thing about Arkansas that's perfectly suited and some other rural states is because there's so many places that that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So um, anybody from northwest Arkansas, uh, if you wanted to deliver something to Jonesboro, um, there's just no good way to get there. No. You drive to Fort Smith, go all the way across and up, or you go across the mountains, but there's just no good way to get there. And uh, it's, with a few exceptions, it's pretty, uh, pretty rural. The ability to have an automated cargo route that would make that flight in an hour and a half and then turn and work it the other way, it starts to connect communities in a way that nobody really thought about before. And you can see in rural areas like in Africa, what Zipline's done in Africa, uh, some of that movement is not just because it's cool there. There's no roads. I mean, there's, you know, it's like they need some medicine or they need blood. Uh, and so I could try to drive it there in my Land Rover. And by the time I get there, they probably died if they got bit by a snake. Mm-hmm. Or I can launch this zip and I can have it there, you know, in 45 minutes or an hour. That is going to happen, I think, relatively quickly. I mean, we're already seeing some of those people proposing models about that sort of thing, about moving stuff. Then we'll, in the five to 10 year time, we'll begin to see more and more integration of passengers. And it'll start slow and there'll be some test trials to see how that works. But in 10 years time, maybe a little more. I think you you will see some iteration of an automated Uber and some others. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. Um, the designs for terraports, which is what they refer to for uh, these vertical takeoff and landings, is a little bit different than heliports. Um, and how we design airports will be a little bit different in how we put it together. Um, we're going to see new multimodal hubs. So if you think of all the things, let's say as an example in a multimodal yard that J.B. Hunt has. So where they're bringing, you know, containers off of ships mm-hmm. that are then being broken down or maybe the full containers being put onto uh, a train or it's being put onto a truck or it's being broke down and put in a unit load uh, uh, ULD for aircraft. So think of that in terms of moving cargo and things around and the kind of models that can happen. So it means you have to have hubs. But if you start to move cargo and people, then suddenly everything, everything changes because now you start to rethink what makes sense. Um, it also allows regions to rethink how do they do transportation and that every single community doesn't have to have, uh, you know, an 8,000 foot runway because people want to bring jets in there. But if, but if you have a hub there, a terraport, then each airport can focus on their strengths, and then the airport can connect those. So a lot of work to do. We ha- at the university we have uh, some fantastic uh, experts. Um, Heather Knockman was uh, the chancellor designated as kind of POC for mm-hmm. those pieces, and she is an expert in transportation security and and uh, what will become smart mobility. But her not only security but transportation models 
of understanding how do we bring all these modes together in a model that makes sense so that we'll be able to move people and goods around safely, but also most efficiently. And then all the canoe and automated vehicles, we'll see that's the next step there. So now your hubs can then connect there. And nobody has all the answers, but uh, a lot of people here are asking all the right questions. What are the right things? What pieces have to be in place for us to get there? How do we model this? How do we go through the compliance requirements to make sure that the FAA is happy? Not just the FAA, it's DOT for highways and things that we're doing. That is a, it's a huge undertaking, but I'm convinced we have the right people and the right environment in Northwest Arkansas for it. Yeah, heck yeah, this is fascinating. I've made that drive from Northwest Arkansas to um, where I drove once from, I guess it was Fayetteville to Jonesboro in a time before our phones told us how long it took to get there. And I just assumed looking at a map in my young mind at the time that that was a much faster way to get there than driving the interstate down to Little Rock and back up. And I was on my way to Memphis. I was living in Memphis at the time and I was on my way home. Man, did that turn out to be a very long drive. Um, that's I, I think it took like seven or eight hours to get home to Memphis. And it's not that far. <laughs> it was incredible. But, you know, the things you're saying are really resonating with me. Of course, living in Memphis at the time uh, for a number of years, um, you know, it's everything logistics uh, there it, it exists there. And then you started talking about how small towns, it changes everything for them. They don't need an 8,000 foot runway. And so I'm thinking about uh, now about all the discussion, what, 10 plus years ago of a flattened world, but talk about, I guess it's not a flat world now. <laughs> it's a sort of a multidimensional uh, world that really makes the world flatter, that evens the playing field for everybody. And uh, that's, that's incredible. It's, it's, it's going to be, I think, the ultimate connector because, you know, I, I give that example of, of Jonesboro, but also if you think about the Delta mm-hmm. or, uh, and it's not just within Arkansas, the region in general, you know, Missouri and, and Kansas, Oklahoma, close to us, that that we see these kind of things. But uh, if you think of these small towns and, uh, and, it, and it may mean that it even affects, you know, how commerce happens to you. You know, if you can get something in three hours um, with the way people look at it now, then do you have to have as many brick and mortar mortars? I don't know, but there's going to be discussion about that. And some really smart people that think that way in retail and wholesale are going to think about, well, how do we do distribution if this is our model now? Um, I was this morning at, we, it just so happens we have a, uh, a partnership with Drone Up, the university does, to, we're going through a training process for teachers at Bentonville Schools. And uh, we were there today getting them ready for their FAA uh, um, pilot certificate, their remote pilot certificate, mm-hmm. take the test so that they can pass that on to students and then use them in STEM classes and try to use them to integrate so they get this orientation. Um, honestly, I think it's going to be, uh, it, it nearly every discipline. It's it's it it touches everything. If if you like coding, and that's been a a great success in Arkansas, then there's a place for you in this because it's going to be a lot of coding. There's going to be a lot of work that's done to make those models work. So every place that I look, I see opportunity of of where this can happen, and I and I see in this area in particular uh, because. 
No, it's an incubator, mm-hmm. really. Like the whole region is an incubator of people that want to be here. Uh, the conferences I go to, they're like, I want to get here. What do I got to do? I mean, what what's the next thing? We want to move here. We want to do manufacturing here. Um, and I, I, I just see opportunity after opportunity. And again, uh, a lot of opportunity to answer the questions. You know, yeah. got all these questions. So how are we going to do that? And that's that's part of the process that we're going through now. Yeah, you know, it, this just made me think about uh, a startup I met uh, a few weeks ago that I wondered on the surface hearing what they were proposing about um, a number of things to do with it, uh, you know, the security of the product and and so on. But based on what you just said, it just occurred to me how useful this could be. This startup was creating basically, call it an Airbnb for retail goods in a sense. They were creating dark stores in people's houses. Imagine dark stores in people's houses all over the world with what you just described. And uh, what a great way to be able to move goods around easily and have them at basically everybody's doorstep almost. Um, so, you know, in early June, Bentonville hosted uh, the UP Summit, which is you know, about 300 of the world's brightest thinkers in uh, the mobility space and especially uh, aerial, advanced aerial mobility. All the world's cool toys came here. Um, as, as you observed, it's really the toys of now, not of the future, but we're seeing a glimpse toward, toward uh, what can happen. What does it mean for Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas to have the UP Summit uh, every year as it rotates between here and Dallas? So uh, I, I don't think that I, I can't really uh, say enough about the impact of it because highlighting the area mm-hmm. and what's here, because all everybody that comes into the summit, because they're not just local people, they're people that come and look and they start to see the opportunity here. Uh, the entrepreneurship that's going on. They see, you know, they talk to economic development people about, hey, is there a space for me to build something here? And so they get to engage with them. And so, and a lot of people, if I, I would give you a, a, a corollary of, um, you know, the film festival. So, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing to live in Bentonville, Arkansas, having been from, you know, just, you know, grew up just over the border of Missouri, but in Bentonville, Arkansas and see movie stars, on the street. And a lot of them, though, they get to this area and they love this area because they're, you know, there is this focus on quality of life. And, you know, if you're wanting to build a place where folks, especially younger, much younger than me, but the ones we know are going to carry this torch eventually, you want to have a place that they want to live and raise kids and, you know, have a good quality of life, whatever their their interest is. And, People get here. Once you get them here and they spend some time, they stay here and they they think about what do I need to do to come here? We just had the Arkansas Aerospace and Defense Alliance Mm -hmm. and the university. We had a a booth and I had people that came here from other areas, other parts of the country, just trying to figure out, you know, what's the what they know something's happening, but they want to know what do I need to do to get here? And so, you know flying cars and people doing manufacturing of different types of uh, products they're wanting to figure out how can I get here but the thing the the thing we have to do and I and I and I do think that those that are leading the effort are doing it is being prepared two ways um, one of which is workforce development and it you know it's it's a it's a soup to nuts cradle to grave kind of thought process if somebody wants to be uh, an airplane mechanic, 
they could stay right here. They could get their education here. They could become an AMP here and be involved in building airplanes or working on airplanes. If somebody wants to be involved uh, doing advanced supply chain, because supply chain models for last mile are going to change. There's no doubt that it's going to change because there's going to be some decision models that have to be made. Should this go by a drone? Should I send this, you know, another way or what's what makes sense? And then we're going to have uh, even more advanced the ability to stay here. And you want to be a, uh, a pilot, if you want to be a maintainer, if you want to be an engineer that works on that. The thing that's changing with all of the leadership kind of coming together and having this discussion is, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, if some, somebody, if a high school kid said, hey, you know, I love aviation. And I want to be, I want to do aviation. This kind of traditional way that they had to do is they graduate from high school and they move away. Yep. Because they want to be a pilot or whatever, and they move away and they hope that they can work their way back home. What's developing now is you don't have to move away. You can stay here. You can, you know, get your education here. You can get the real world here and there will be job opportunities here afterwards. So that's a dramatic shift, you know, in, in, in that work. And, and it's not just in, you know, advanced air mobility. Think of the same thing uh, if someone's interested in what Canoe's doing and automated ground vehicles and, you know, how do I do that? And that involves so much more than what people understand. Um, you know, if you have automated cars, somebody has to build the models of the roads. Right. Uh, they have to do all that work. And so... There are, you know, there are folks that just love that kind of stuff. And here's the application for them right here, that they can be someplace to help, you know, to impact that. Now it's going to change. And the same thing in uh, in uh, uh, advanced air mobility, these DEMs, digital elevation models, we need to know the terrain at a lot higher resolution, much more granular than what we have some satellites. Or I mean, we need to get down to where we really know where it is because, that's all airspace we're going to have to recover at some point for all these, you know, because we need to be able to do terrain following types of work and to do things where we separate. But in order to do it, we need to know where's all the obstacles and where all where is the ground at and the actual elevations. Um, all of that, the kind of the preparation, the infrastructure preparation is part of the effort as well. Yeah. You know, I, I read a few years ago that 60% of, or maybe it was 70% of uh, jobs, let me back up a step. I read that more than 75% of children entering elementary school today, that something on the order of 60 to 70% of them would hold jobs that we haven't even thought about yet. And just go backwards 20 years, and perhaps many of these jobs weren't really thought about yet. And as quickly as uh, technology is uh, transforming the world and changing, I can imagine how that would be the case. And maybe the number is even higher. We just don't know it yet. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you a great example that builds into that. So when we started, when I started building at the university, the the course, which is not, you get your remote pilot certificate in that course, but you also learn about sensors and how do I build models and, mm -hmm. and some of the computer type things. Um, and I would offer use cases and say, well, here's what some people are doing. Here's what some of us and every time I think I know him, then a student will come up with an idea. Uh, I had one who he quit his full-time job just to do roof inspections, to charge somebody because he takes a thermal drone, 
goes up a couple hundred dollars later and in 15 minutes of his time, he says, well, here's where you're losing. Here's where you put, need to put insulation and people are happy to pay it because otherwise you had to pay somebody to crawl, you know, get on a ladder and go up you there bet. Uh, or inspecting towers or, or uh, building forensic scenes of accidents. You really, it's only limited by that individual's imagination. Yeah, you know, I can think of my last house. I just wanted a drone to go up and see if the highest parts of my gutters, if they needed to be clean. Right. <laughs> it's, well, it's so simple. It's actually an application, you know, where you don't have to go up there yourself, right? So it makes a big difference. You bet. Um, so in February, Governor Hutchison announced the uh, State of Arkansas's Council on uh, Future Mobility. Will you tell me what that means for our state today and going into the future? By a vitally important uh, step. For the state, and the reason, if you benchmark the states that uh, have have kind of stepped out on this, Virginia, Kansas, North Dakota, and you look at what they did, this was very early on. It became like a all hands on deck in the state. So for the government, for the governor to designate that, it's it sends a signal. First off, it is important. We're going to have we're going to you know study it, bring a report back. We're going to talk about where are we with our ability to accept manufacturing and workforce readiness and all of those things that we need to do in order to make it happen. If you don't have that foundation, that just doesn't come together. I mean, you you end up with a lot of voices, but there's never a consolidated voice that uh, people will look to when they're looking to come here. Uh, And like I said, without exception, if you look at the other states, that was one of the first things they did. So very important. I mean, I, 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 I just think it can't be done without it. Yeah, it puts you so far ahead of everybody else. If you don't know something's missing, you can't fix it. That's and right. this is too new of a field to assume that you know everything about what, what you have. Yep. Um, well, so to go further, recently, the University of Arkansas announced this uh, planning grant. Uh, to use for uh, supporting the university's mission of becoming the preeminent uh, university in the uh, area of smart mobility. Covers things like uh, artificial intelligence for smart mobility, next generation uh, vehicles, and your favorite subject, right? uh, unmanned aerial mobility. Uh, Will you talk about your role in this planning grant and uh, where you expect it to lead and perhaps uh, where it may lead uh, far into the future for Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas and the University of Arkansas? So I'm I'm on the team. Uh, Like I mentioned, Heather Nockman is is, uh, leading that team. Um, And that grant in particular is about really, uh, you might talk about a gap analysis if you ever heard that, but the Mm -hmm. idea is you know, what do we need in order to move this forward? So uh, it could be everything from, you know, here's the kind of courses we need for workforce development. Here's the partnerships we should build. It should be, it could be equipment. It, it could be, maybe we need a faculty member with expertise in this area. But the idea is to get to the end and, and, and look in the planning grant. What can the University of Arkansas do in order to uh, support the state and the region? I mean, it, we are very cognizant, those at the university, we're cognizant of what it means to be the land-grant university. Mm-hmm. We have, I mean, we're serving the citizens of the state. That's in our mission. It's what we're to do. And so that's what the, the focus will be. I mean, Heather sp- can speak uh, really to the real particulars, but those that are on that uh, uh, on that team have very d- different um, areas of expertise uh, and and some of them, 
not just nationally. I mean, they're known around the world for for those particular uh, skill sets that they have. And so she's kind of hurting the cats, bringing all of that together so that we then through the grant can say this is the direction we need to go and, and what it is we need to do in order to support that. Great. Well, I'm excited and can't wait to see uh, where that leads. And, and when will that be that we'll know something more? Is it a year or so? So, yeah, it's spring okay. uh, is the time frame. It, I mean, we, uh, we'll we spend some time studying. It's not, it's not a... Uh, it's not one of those long-term, it takes forever kind of sure. typical government things. It's pretty fast, but uh, it'll be pretty compressed uh, with the comprehensive recommendations uh, afterwards, but in the spring. That's one of the things I love about this area is that we don't draw things out. <laughs> we decide to do things. We take a quick study and we just get things done. The pace at which things get done around here, I think, would astound people in other places. Um, you know, our area is quickly becoming the leading ground or testing area, if you will, for mobility, at least in my mind it is. You have Zipline and DroneUp who have been delivering for packages for Walmart for, I guess, over a year now. Uh, Gaddick and Walmart have uh, been moving autonomous, fully autonomous trucks, no safety driver in the seat going on. I believe this month is 25 months. It's a world first. Uh, will you talk more about this and, um, you know, how we're leading uh, about this and more and how we're leading in this area of mobility? So the, it, it really fits, it, it fits into some of the projects at the university anyway that were already going on. Some, you know, organizations that were working on optimization, how do you make all these systems come together? Because it really is a system problem. Um, and, We've led that. We have some uh, faculty that have done uh, amazing research, some directly to this and some that just kind of attaches to it, but all of it comes together. Um, The idea of a system of smart mobility where uh, you you make the decision, you know, there's decisions about what's the right way, what's the recommend, how should this work? Do we use like a hub and spoke system like the carriers use? Do we use a different type of system? Uh, when we come to multimodal yards, how does that work? Mm-hmm. What mode should be at each yard? And so that, you know, developing that framework and then knowing where to step from there uh, is a really important part. Because uh, if you don't, then you start making some decisions later on. You're going, hmm, I wish we'd have done that differently because it would have been better. So up front, there's some work in the smart mobility piece that I think will make a, a difference in how fast it moves and how effective it is and, and reduces rework because of the time spent. In the, in the connection between modes, I think, is uh, some of the most exciting areas and where we have really world-class experts in that about how do you connect the modes of all these different disparate things that industry honestly has done a great job. What industry has done with technology in the last 10 years in this area is phenomenal. Uh, you go out to drone up and look what they're done, go to zip line, you can go to zip line and, you know, watch the cable, grab it out of the air and go, what an amazing feat of engineering True. that is, right? And they do it over and over and over and safely uh, and drone up the same way. They're flying, you know, right in some relatively congested areas. They're doing it safely. They're doing it over and over. So all of that and the way that those modes come together and uh, putting all the pieces, we have some, well, the university has some, like I said, world-class 
folks that look at that, have studied that in other modes about how do we make that work. So I'm excited about it. I think I think what we're going to see in a you know, relatively short time is actual results that you'll begin to see. It'll start showing up by people moving here and businesses moving here, but then you're going to start seeing more and more operations. Well, that's a great segue to my, my next question, <laughs> which is uh, how should the leaders of mobility companies be looking at uh, Bentonville and thinking about how to take advantage of what's happening here, about whether they should have a presence to take advantage of what's happening here? So um, there was wisdom in the grant to the university from the Family Foundation for uh, uh, IQ-R and putting a presence with uh, the collaborative uh, in Bentonville. I've already taught a graduate course there. I mean, that only opened up, you know, last what last spring, really. Mm-hmm. And I've already taught graduate courses there, and we'll teach some more. There's also this presence that's always there uh, to kind of leverage contacts between, you know, academe and then those that are trying to incubate and then those that are ready to manufacture and, you know, tying all that with economic development, all of that together, um, which is uh, is not a, uh, it's a rare thing to see that. If somebody wants to come here uh, pretty quickly, they can see, because they can go in and start ha- have a meeting or two. And, and the first thing you'll notice when you're here is somebody will say, no, it's not my really mine, but let me introduce you to Toby Teeter or Heather Knock. Let me introduce you to them because I'm sure, and that's how meetings work here. Yeah. Either somebody can help you with the solution or they'll say, well, let's, the four of us, let's talk about that. And so uh, you, I can't think of a place where you'd come and you get all of this support. Hey, well, that sounds like you need to talk to so-and-so or, you know, let's have a meeting of all of us because this looks like it crosses several different areas. That is pretty rare. You're not seeing that. I mean, you see some places that kind of emulate it. If you think of what, you know, some of the institutes like Cornell has, or if you think in upstate New York where they've poured a lot of money. But this thing has happened, I don't want to say on the cheap, but relative to the same thing, the money that we're pouring into those places, what's developing here, it's just organically developed. And you'll see these connections that uh, it, it would be hard to replicate. So... Yeah. I, everybody that asked me, hey, what should, you know, should I come there? I'm like, you should. And let me tell you why. And here's three guys you ought to talk to. Right. That's what happens here. And I think it's part of our DNA. It's, you know, in much the same way that, that Walmart got started. It wasn't how do we take a whole bunch of money and plow it into it and spend years making it happen? How do we do it right now? Right. How do we make it happen right now? And being in the building that the Bentonville Collaborative's in, the, the Greater Bentonville Area Chamber of Commerce is there. And as an economic developer, fully appreciate what you just said, yeah. that, that you do not see this in other places. And and seeing this happen really all around me in uh, this building or, or a couple of buildings and having the ability to walk somebody down to see Toby or anybody else in the building at a given moment and them giving of their time immediately right. Uh, assuming, of course, they don't have something else happening, but or or the quick order in which these meetings of several folks are scheduled is, is phenomenal. I've not experienced this other places. Well, and it it doesn't hurt that if you say, oh, yeah, by the way, let's show you uh, for the workforce that you want to mm-hmm. attract that's either developed here or you bring. Look at this area and see how difficult would it be? I've been some places, especially in the military. It'd be difficult to attract a workforce there. Yep. That is not a problem here. And uh, people that get here from, I mean, the influx of people is because they get here and look and go, 
I want to come here. Well, if you do, your workforce does too. And so the ability to attract talent and to grow uh, talent here once they're here uh, or then organically from those that are here, that's important because it's going to be about people. It's always about people. Can you attract the people that can do this? You can have all the technology in the world, but if you can't get people there, you can't get the right employees, the, the right engineers, the right folks, then it won't make any difference. I'm glad to hear you push the workforce gavel. Uh, um, let me tell you, that is so important. And this place has been built exactly for that. And I've talked about it a couple of times on the, the podcast, but really there's an imperative that we continue to do that, which basically means for other folks that it will continue to happen. Uh, look, this all happened, really came about because folks looked around 15 years ago and thought, gee, we've got these big three companies here, including Fortune One. and except that they were built here, they don't have to stay uh, and they can pick up and leave. And if they can't recruit the best and brightest talent in the world, then they will. They will have to. It won't matter if they want to, they will have to. And so a place had to be built in a way that they would want to be here. And you're exactly right. When people get on the ground and check out this place, it's almost a send for my bags moment. I think I've made a mistake by only packing one bag because I can't go get my things. I'll just send for them. I'm never going back. Yep. You know, and it's the the number of stories I can tell you about people who came here to visit and immediately moved into a hotel or lived in their truck for a while while they figured it out because they had to be here is I, I just... I've, I've run out of fingers to count them on, I'll tell you that. <laughs> There's so many of those stories. Let's talk about getting involved in the future of mobility. We talked about it a, a little bit. We've sort of danced around it. If, if a student of any age wanted to get involved in this space or really anybody of any age and experience wanted to get involved, how would they uh, do that or how, what should they do right now? So right now, it's, it's uh, well, let's just kind of, let's start early. I think that would help to kind of frame it. So um, the university, we've had a, a partnership with uh, Bentonville through the Ignite program mm-hmm. to where I came in and taught classes and we had students. I mean, we've got a couple, two or three dozen students, high school students that got their FAA remote pilot certificate, some of whom went on to do things in that that field. Those are high school students. Some of them use that as a launching pad to say, well, I think I'm really interested in being an engineer in this area. So I'm going to go to the university and I'm going to be an engineer. Then a few will get involved. You know, I really want to do maintenance stuff. And so we've got game composites here that's going to need that kind of uh, uh, development. We have other industries that are coming that are going to need that too. So you get this kind of an introductory level for, for the high school student. And then their path could take them to NWAC. It could take them to the university. It could take them right into the workforce. They can decide. And then, and then here's the great part. Once they decide, they can change. They could say, I'm going to be an A&P. And then they could say, you know, I, I know how to do the maintenance, but I really want to be an engineer and learn how to do this. Or I want to learn how to do uh, the geosciences piece of this, because I'm interested in the modeling. And so they can, and, and here they can, they can stay there and, and either become deeper in, in, in that, or they can broaden out and go to another area. All of that will be here from the high school level to enter directly into the workforce, to go to NWAC to get something that you want to come to the university. All of that will be here. Um, 
Harbor High School, they've had an aviation strand for a few years, two or three years, and they've got several students there, have some simulators, and it's not just about flying uh, as a pilot, but also some that go to maintenance. Uh, We had a conference there. They host us. We went down to, and several of those students were like, I want to do maintenance. But they wanted to do an A&P, so they had to go to Pulaski Tech because, Mm -hmm. you know, so those are some of the things that we'd say, hey, we think we could support this because there's enough happening here. That's some of the things that you you look at workforce. There's no reason, uh, really, if, if, if I was looking, if I have grandkids here. Sure. And so... Uh, and they're in Bentonville, and Bentonville started a, the the aviation strand now, and hiring a person that's going to do that full time instead of just when I was there. And they're going to come in, and they're going to start mentoring the kids. And the idea is, some of them will. It's you know, some of them knew my background at a at a, at one of the uh, booths that we had up there some months ago. And they wanted me to help them figure it because they decided, hey, I want to be air traffic controller. I saw air traffic controllers make $160,000 a year. That's what I want to do. You know, I did this this piece, but that's where I want to go. Or I want to be an airport manager or and on and on and on. And so it becomes this launching pad of where they can go. So that's kind of the first group. You, you know, it's like anything else. You get them exposed and then mm-hmm. they go where, they're, uh, where they want to. Then we've got this group that already knows what they want to do. They show up, I'm going to the university, I'm going to do this, this, and this. What do you have? We've already started that at the university, but they've got others that'll say, hey, I want to be a maintainer. Well, they've, it's here. All of that's here. Some, if you go to drone up or zip line, those, and these aren't small crews. We're not talking about three people. Right. They're growing and the hubs are going to grow. Um, that is their career. Some of them have made the decision, well, I'm riding it right here. I'm going to start as a pilot. I'm going to move up in the company or, you know, who knows? Walmart might say, I need an expert over here. But there's this path there for them that's just, it seems like overnight to me. It's not, but it feels like overnight. Went from, well, I don't know how much there is to suddenly, well, there's a lot. you. And by the way, you can do this from now on. This can be your career and you can start working your way into that area. That's an amazing transformation for for a region in a relatively short, just a couple of years. So, uh, and it makes me think even more of what would their opportunities be three years from now or four years from now. I think it'll be even more. What a neat time we sit in. I mean, you're in a role where you get to help shape your your grandchildren's future. I have a two year old boy at home, and and I'm hopeful that some of the things that I do help uh, shape his future. And uh, I think it's really a um, it's really a neat spot. To be yeah, sitting in, to be thinking about that. So as we, let's come in for a landing. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell me a story. Uh, make this a, I call it a hashtag because Bentonville story. Uh, it could be, it, it could be a story of just a moment uh, of something that uh, represents the uniqueness of this place or perhaps could only happen here. So if I think of that, some of it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um in some of the early meetings that we were having with companies that, that were coming here, drone up, uh, um, zipline, others that were coming, um, we literally had the, those companies here with some economic development people that would sometime be involved, some from the university, some that were brought in from another area. And they essentially are competitors. Mm-hmm. And 
sitting in the same situation and having conversations about, okay, but, but how do we make this safe? What do we need to do? How do we have safety meetings? We've already done that with the FAA. How do we come up with a plan to kind of see this through the, the, and what's needed? And never, I've been involved in a lot of this, especially in the government, because you know, you're a regulator, you bring people together and they're all like, I'm not saying that, that's proprietary. Uh-huh. I don't want to talk about it, right? And I'm not saying anybody's giving away company secrets, but what they are doing is showing this different idea that they're about the system. Everybody, you have to, you have to honor profits for your shareholders, but they're about the system, the safety of the system, the efficacy of the system, all those things. And so they will come and uh, um, they'll ask the university for us to help them sometime. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with a development? You know, how does this work? Can, uh, you know, can you offer me some information on if I wanted to do and they'll have a goal and how can we, if we could help them. But you don't see this uh, territorialism. Uh, and that is that from the beginning has been a story here. The same thing has happened, you know, uh, as I serve on the, the airport advisory board. Um, we'll have conversations uh, among airports because sure. this will connect airports. I mean, Bentonville, Fayetteville, Springdale, Salem Springs, Rogers, those airports, because what I was talking about before about saying, well, maybe you can be the one with 8,000 square feet and I'm going to fill this niche here or you're going to do whatever that is, but they have to talk to each other. And so we've had meetings at some of those airports having a conversation. Not once did you hear one of them going, well, no, we want everybody to come and buy gas here. They were saying, um, no, this is a regional system. And uh, we all will have our niche and we'll figure that out. That is a unique thing. Uh, those meetings that I've been in, it's just something that you don't see uh, often. And it up to this point, I mean, I'm, I don't want to be Pollyannish about it. There are issues we have to deal with, but there's no issues that uh, what we're facing is that people don't want to work together. And that's just not like this. That's a Bentonville. That's a culture thing that you just don't see. And it makes it very enjoyable to work with folks when you're trying to when you're doing that, uh, because I've been on the other side of that. There's not so much fun uh, when everybody is, you know, uh, arguing with each other. But that is definitely a Bentonville thing. One I'll tell you that uh, was mentioned. This was for a friend of mine that at the airport. So you know, I'm there's a club there, and so mm-hmm. I would sometimes just drink coffee and sit there and do work and look out. Well. Uh, we had been approached, the city had been approached by the FBO about putting a electric charging station for electric aircraft. Uh-huh. Um, and so the buddy that was visiting me, who's been all over the world, uh, very experienced aviator, and, and uh, um, he, he looks, he goes, what's that? And I said, it's a charging station for electric aircraft. And he said, a charging station for electric aircraft here. I said, yeah. And he said, that says a lot about what's going on here. And it does. Um, for an, uh, an airport or a city, an airport or region to say, you know, we're looking at this far enough and ahead. And, and even if it's, uh, take, if, if, if it's symbolic, it's there. It was, has been used. It has been used. But it points towards where are we going is towards the future. We, we realize that's the future. And, you know, we put a stake in the ground. And when he saw it, that was a big deal to him. 
it it was a game changer. I mean, he, the FBO is beautiful, it's coolest airport, all those things, but that's a game changer in how you think about what's going on. And you know, uh, my family is all from Arkansas, and, and um, there's this idea when you tell people, you say where you're from. So I go to conferences like all of sure. us. Say I'm from Arkansas, from Arkansas, and they, you know, you can see uh-huh. the wheels turning of what they're thinking. And you say, well, what's going on at the university? And I start talking about this, and their eyes change. They're like, really? And then they'll say, well, maybe I need to come out there and look, because they are so amazed at how uh, progressive and looking towards the future of things that are happening here. So that's the story of Bentonville. And in, in smart mobility, that'll be what carries us through, I can guarantee you. And when you go to attract people, or if we ever want to attract top faculty, that is part of the equation makes all the difference. Absolutely. You know, as an economic developer, these are the conversations I get to have every day with folks when I, who maybe haven't been exposed to this place yet. And I feel fortunate sometimes when they take the conversation and go, I had to find out Arkansas, what's there? And then I start talking with them and, and, you know, drop a statistic here or there that, that might be interesting to them, but start sharing these stories and you get the same response. It's, I have to come visit. I don't believe you. Right. Sometimes they tell me, I don't really believe you, but you've told me enough. I have to come visit because there's something going on here. Right. And then they come visit. And of course, you know, the rest of the story, they oftentimes come back and then come back and stay, which is incredible. It is. Um, At this point, if somebody in the audience wants to reach you, how would they do that? Um, Well, Emails is easy. I mean, I have an easy email. It's richardh at uark.edu. So it's a pretty easy one to remember. Richard Ham, Richard H at uark.edu. I'll give my number too. If you want me to do that, it's sure. it's four seven. Uh, it's four seven nine five seven five 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 two one, and that will come right to my phone. And you know, I'll call back if somebody tries to call. Um, if they're trying to ask information about what to do with drones at the University of Arkansas, it's drones at uark.edu, and that comes to me. So there's a lot of ways to get me. Uh, and then I'm, you know, I'm also on the FAA website as one of the safety counselors leads lead for the state. Perfect. So at this point, what should I have asked you that I did not ask? I can't think of anything glaring that we haven't talked about, but I could give you a little bit more. And it has to do with this kind of where the workforce development and the technology comes together. So if you look at everywhere where we have seen dramatic changes, University of North Dakota and what happened Mm -hmm. in North Dakota in this area and Kansas uh, and some of the others that have happened statewide, just like what the governor did here, what you see is this not just touching on the the edge, which, you know, there's a danger of that kind of like saying, hey, we're going to touch on this just a little bit, not, but going full in. What, what I believe we will see is, so if you go to Zipline and Drone Up and you look at how, you know, the, the equipment that they use to train people, they've got that sterile environment, mm-hmm. they've got to, that's how we're going to be training students. And if you look at students that are going to come to the university to do work and projects, or whether it's to be an engineer or to be 
I have architecture, landscape architecture students that take my class all the time because they're trying to figure out how do I just, I mean, it's a perfect tool for that. Or in the geosciences and uh, CAST because of the, the, the center for advanced space technology, I mean, all of that is at the university. If we look at how all of them integrate together, my belief is that the the university and the region and the, the industry partners and the other government partners, I think we're going to see it move faster. Maybe not as fast as some of us want, but I do think it's going to, and, and it's going to accelerate. So this is recorded so we could come back later and you could say, hey, Rich, you were wrong or hey, you were right. I, I think within two years, if we if we put a marker here and then looked at some of the things happening in two years, I think we'll be amazed at what has happened in two years' time. I really do. I can't wait to find out. I, I think it's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Last question. What's the most important thing that you've learned this year? I don't know if I necessarily learned it or if I just realized the importance, uh, you know, re-emphasize the importance of it. And it had to do with the, the, the partnerships. I've literally spent in Arkansas back and forth in, in aviation 40 years of meeting people. My first dive into that 40 years ago was going out to all the little airports when I was an air traffic controller and getting information so we could find lost airplanes, somebody mm-hmm. crash and do that. I went from that to, uh, you know, briefing all the pilots on the changes about intercept procedures after September 11th to, you know, and, and each one of those iterations, aerial applicators, crop dusters in the state, meeting all of them at one time or another nearly, is each time. So I've had 40 years to cultivate those. And you get to an age, it's like someone will ask something, I'll say, hey, so-and-so, that's who, just because it's just organic. I think what I learned is that there's a skill set now that we have to train, not just at the university, but everybody to try to accelerate. Accelerate how you make those contacts, accelerate how you build that network and, and be purposeful on it. So if somebody was going to, I mean, was I thinking that 40 years ago? No. And nobody said it just kind of happened, maybe from personality, but just kind of happened. But now I see, wow, that was really important that I did that or, you know, that I met all those people during that time. We can, we sometimes will get caught up in this where we'll spend so much time on what's the technology and what curriculum do I need? And then we forget, yeah, but we do need to be purposeful about figuring out what do people really want. Because here's the amazing, this is the, one of the cha- primary challenges. If we did, a, you know, university, if you do a needs assessment, mm-hmm. we're going to see what employers tell me, what do you need? What do you need from employees? If I'm not on top of that in a year to 18 months, it'll be different. And meanwhile, I've not maintained that and I'm going off in this direction and the vector's gone a different way. And so it's really important, very important to, for uh, and all my students, I tell them, if you're going to be an aviator, this is something you need to know. Here's all your resources, and then you need to build the network because it's important. So I wouldn't say that I learned it, but I would say that it was, I guess, uh, kind of driven home how important it was this this last year. It's important to get reminded of these things from time to time. It is. Uh, Rich, hey, thanks for spending time with us today, and um, I'm sure the audience Enjoyed this as much as I did. I really appreciate the glimpse into your life and uh, 
your experience um, in, in this industry. This is incredible. I can't wait to see the things that develop and perhaps sit here in a couple of years and and look back and figure out where you were right and where you were yeah, wrong. Right. <laughs> and um, I bet you're going to be right a lot more often uh, and that we're going to be perhaps ahead of where we thought we would be because that's just the way it seems to work when you lay these great plans. Yeah. Hey, thanks again to our Bentonville Beacon audience. As always, if you enjoyed what you heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player and visit us at BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com to learn more, plus to see all of our episodes. Uh, Really, you'll get the opportunity to learn about Bentonville's leaders and their businesses and what's happening here and about Bentonville in Northwest Arkansas, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week.